Welcome to Give Me The Loop Podcast with Xavier Marley. What's going on to all my looters out there? How's everybody doing? The weather has been crazy from California all the way up to the north towards New York. I know they're having a snowstorm. It's just been a crazy weather. Uh, you know, this week has just been, how can I say it? It has been an impactful week for me. My friend that I told y'all about that had uh, passed away, he was buried this weekend. So it was rough for me. It was very rough, not only emotionally, but just mentally. It was just something that I had to get through. And I know that people may look at death and they might have questions or they might, you know, wonder why it happens or even be afraid of it. But I had to get through it. You know what I'm saying? It, You know, my man, he died from natural causes at such a young age. And it just sounds crazy just saying natural causes. But, you know, it was his time. And... So everybody says it's not like, you know, he got shot. Like if he got shot, that would be one thing because, you know, that's somebody taking your loved one away from you. And I don't wish that on nobody. But damn, in this case, it would just be a different type of grieving process if he did. And sound might sound crazy, but, you know, if he did get shot, you go into a whole revenge thing and you like going through your mind, you know, you know, if I had that person or if I saw that person, what would I do? And you, you, you start to look for the answer on why it happened through that person. When that person dies of natural causes, boy, that feels different. It feels rough and you do got to go through those stages of grief. You're going to experience them because that's how that's how we supposed to go. We supposed to go that we're not supposed to go being murdered or freak accidents. We supposed to go natural, just like we are born natural. We supposed to leave this earth natural. And he got to experience that. Even though it was sooner than, you know, I would have liked, you know, look how privileged I sound. I would have liked. Uh, it just happened. So yeah, man, the grieving process just was different for this one. And, uh, you know, you just, it's how, all how you get through things. It really details how strong you are. And that's really where you get to solve the pain and you get to develop that process of healing. 
So I definitely had to get through that and I'm still getting through that and I'm still going through it and I'm still trying to understand why it happened. Uh, on a better note, but on a tragic note also, you know, this is the anniversary of uh, Kobe Bryant. And I just remember that day so vividly when Kobe transitioned along with those eight other people, um, as sad as it may be. I was in the movie theaters and I was watching Uncut Gems. My man, he told me, yo, go see it. Tell me what you think about it. You know, do the whole movie critic thing. Tell me what you think. So that morning, I went and I uh, I got up early because I'm, I'm a I'm a matinee guy. I know it's kind of cheap, but I, I like to get in the movie theaters early before everybody get there. So that way I'm in there and I'm either by myself or I'm with a bunch of old people. You know, I'm getting that raw laugh. I'm getting that raw, you know, emotion of the movie theaters. And I'm telling you, that day was the most interesting day because when I went in there, the news haven't got out yet. But when I got out, I have, you know, I'm in the California area and I'm seeing people crying. And I'm seeing sons being held by their mother. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on? And I look at my phone. I see a text from my uh, little sister saying, you know, rest in peace, Kobe. I was like, no. No, this can't be. I called my mother. and She's like, yeah. Kobe died And I cried in that movie theater Like a baby You know what I'm saying That was the first real time I'm like so in emotion I, I just I just weeped And I couldn't believe it I'm like How? How? And you know what was so freaky about it? The day before LeBron James had just passed him On an all time scoring list So You know They were saying Everybody was talking about Kobe It was like He was a conversation of that of that, I guess that day or whatever the case may be, he was the conversation that whole weekend, that whole weekend that led up to it because they had played against Philly, if I'm not mistaken. And just seeing how that went down, it's just amazing, you know, how we get through things and how we experience things and where we remember where we were. And I just remember that day. It was so foggy outside, man. The whole Southern California was just so foggy. And you just never think of it. I'm on a roll by myself, and I'm just driving to the movie theaters. You're just never thinking, you know, this is going to happen. And it hurts. And it hurts, and it's a feeling that I don't want from nobody. I don't want anybody to experience that type of hurt. And I'm listening to his, because I kind of bonded with Kobe in his after basketball. Because when he was playing ball, I hated the dude. I'm not gonna lie, I hated him. I didn't. He was on the court. He was he was just such an asshole. But when he retired, oh, he was in my world. Man, he was doing film. He was writing. Uh, I I had just pre ordered his book. Uh, you know. Right now, I can't recall the book off the top of my head, but I had just pre-ordered it. And you just, you're experiencing that firsthand of somebody that's just making a difference in your life. And that's what Kobe was doing. Just listening to him and Pat David talk 
you know, business and marketing and to just the craziest thing. You know, I'm just getting listening to all these interviews, hearing him on um, certain podcasts and just watching him just flow in conversation about what he's interested in right now and how, you know, maybe basketball was, he wasn't, he wasn't ready to talk about basketball yet. And you just see him just get into that moment with Gigi and, you know, that led to his death and, you know, rest in peace to uh, all the nine people. Yeah, man, such tragic news. We got another person who died over the weekend uh, his name was the great Larry King. Uh, Larry King was just such an influential person, not only in the TV space, but in the audio, podcast, radio space. Uh, I grew up listening to four people, four great people, and two of them died recently. I listened to Alex Trebek, David Letterman, Larry King. And Anderson Cooper. And all four of those guys played a part in who I am today. Whether it's Anderson Cooper and the way I look at things objectively, politically, even though he's more left at this point in his life. Uh, but the way news were, it was really objective. You know, it wasn't as divisive as it is today. David Letterman, I felt like he was just a professional. And I came up during that time of the last run of late night in television. And I also watched Trebek. And that was just a fun thing with Jeopardy when I got off of school. Uh, the great Larry King, he has just been through a lot, whether it's cancer, uh, his two oldest children passing away in 2020. The guy is just a, a fighter. A Brooklyn native. So I got an interview from the Breakfast Club. You know, it's just to give an insight on who this man was. And how he looked at the world and how he looked at race and how he looked at his life purpose. So check it out. Okay. It's not the original name, right? What, no, what my name was Zyger. And uh, I all, all want all all I wanted in my whole life was to be in broadcast. I just wanted to be on the radio. When I was five right. years old, mm-hmm. I wanted to be on the radio. I used to imitate radio announcers. Mm-hmm. I would listen to shows like Suspense mm-hmm. and uh, The Shadow, and then I would pretend I was an announcer. Mm-hmm. And then I'd get odd jobs. I didn't go to college, mm-hmm. and I got out of high school. My father died when I was nine. Mm-hmm. So I got a bunch of odd jobs here in New York, grew up in Brooklyn, uh, went to Dodger games, and... Lived my life and worked for United Postal Service, Hearns Department Store. And all the young bucks, when, when you were growing up in Brooklyn, the Dodgers played in Brooklyn. Yeah, the Brooklyn yeah. Dodgers. LA, right? This guy named Jackie I, Robinson, you yeah. may be familiar with. So I was at his first game. Wow. wow. And I interviewed him twice. Really? Interviewed him uh, once in 1960 and then once about three months before he died. How did you feel at his first game? Were you one of those people that were against it? Oh, were you kid against it. We were all for it in Brooklyn. We loved him. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and a movie 42 accurately portrayed that, too. Really? Yeah, I sitting up there in the bleachers. But anyway, so I knocked around a whole bunch of odd jobs, and uh, somebody suggested I go down to Miami. Uh, and Never knocked, a bad idea. Knocked on doors, and a small station there hired me. 
And I got my first job. It was May 1st, 1957. And I was about to go on the air. And the guy said, well, what, what name are you going to use? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, my name is Larry Zeiger. He said, no, that, that won't go. Because people won't know how to spell it. And mm-hmm. A little ethnic. Look <laughs> <laughs> at that. A little ethnic. Right. So uh, Why not Larry Z? Larry Z. That would be now. Okay. Larry, Larry the Z. <laughs> okay. But uh, he had an ad open in the Miami Herald for King's Wholesale Liquors. And he said, why not Larry King? And I said. <laughs> Better than Larry Liquor. Okay. You could have been Larry Liquor. That would yeah. be hot. Yeah. If you were doing like sale. porn radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine <laughs> if it was BJ's and Larry BJ? You know, you yeah. Anyways, Larry King. Okay. And uh, so I sat in the studio and I had Les Elgard swinging down the lane was my theme song. I was so nervous, man. Because remember, this is my lifetime wish. Right. I'm 22 years old. And since five, I wanted to be on the radio. Right. And now here's my big chance. $50 a week. I was on from 9 to 12, and I did sports and news. You did everything. Mm -hmm. Small station. And uh, the music started to play, and I faded the record, Mm -hmm. and nothing came out. And I brought the record back up, and nothing came out. Stage right? I was was scared to death. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. And the general manager kicked open the door to the studio, Mm -hmm. and he said, Damn it, this is a communications business. Communicate. So he shut the door, and I did something then that I would do today. I was just honest. Mm-hmm. And I t- turned the record down, and I said, Good morning, my name is Larry King. That's the first time I've ever said that. I've just been given that name. <laughs> and uh, this is my first day on the air, and I'm scared to death. And I wanted this all my life. I told the audience the truth. Mm-hmm. And you can never go wrong when you tell the truth. Never. Absolutely. So for three hours that morning, if I miscued a record, or I goofed up on a commercial, they're saying it's his first day. You know? right. So I, they were in my corner <coughs> by taking them into my corner. I was never nervous again. 58 years later, I've done comedy, I've done on stage, I've done stand-up, I've done interviews, I'm seen around the world, I've done radio, television, podcasts, FM, news, everything. Right. I've never been nervous since that first day because I learned something that first day. Mm. There's no secret. There's no Just secret. Just be yourself. Be yourself. If it works, it works. You can't make the audience. If the audience listening now didn't like The Breakfast Club, there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. to make them like it. Right? I agree. <laughs> so all, I totally agree with that. All you can do is be yourself. Be if yourself. it works, it works. No, it ain't brain surgery. Not at all. Do you ever feel like when you interview somebody, they're lying to you? Can you tell? Sometimes you think that. But you, all you can do is all you can do. <clears throat> you try your best. You ask the best questions you can think of. You follow up. You listen to the answers. You don't know every secret in the world. You can't know every. You know, if people were in a building talking about something, I wasn't in the building. If they're telling me what they said, mm-hmm. if I have facts to refute it, I try to bring that up. But hey, I've been doing this a long time. I've interviewed people like uh, Malcolm X, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. Nelson Mandela, Frank Sinatra, seven presidents, world leaders. I've done speaking tours in South Africa and Moscow. And Who was your favorite? Who was your favorite interview? Boy, I can't pick out one. Sinatra, maybe, because he was hard to get, and uh, uh, he didn't do interviews, and mm-hmm. Jackie Gleason got him for me, and that was like a big thrill. But I, I never had a favorite. I have so many, you know. I've done, I've done 60,000 interviews. Wow. So uh, I'm, I'm just happy to learn things. Malcolm X was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Mandela was... Just a great guy. When I was in South Africa, I went to his house. 
and he wore suspenders in my honor. <laughs> I always I have suspenders on now, but I'm freezing to death. <laughs> so I'm wearing a sweater. What's going on here? It's freezing. It's but but freezing. you you in said, here in particular. I, in the city. Oh, in New York. Not yeah. in here. Why are you wrapped up? I'm always cold in here. I think it's freezing. I, I read that you want to freeze your body uh, when you when you die. I just uh, taped uh, Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz yeah. yesterday, mm-hmm. and he showed me what happens when they do that, and it makes a lot of sense to me. For I, I don't believe that I'm going anywhere. I'm not religious. Uh, so I believe that when you die, you die, and that's it. So I'm so curious, and I like living and uh, so I want one little chance. So if I'm frozen, and then they find a cure for whatever I died of, <laughs> and they can kill me, is that is that better than laying in the ground or being burnt while you're dead? Those two ways you can't get out. But I figure if I can be frozen, mm. and then something happens. My wife says to me, though, yeah, but what if you wake up 200 years later? You don't know anybody. I said, I'll make new friends. Yeah, you'll, I think you'll be fine. I, I, that's what I like. So it's the one-way grab at eternity to live because mm-hmm. I don't want to not exist. Right. And you I, I think it's the biggest fear people have. I think they may say they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm going somewhere. <coughs> you don't know. Right. So are you, are you an atheist or you just don't believe in religion, organized religion? I'm probably... I'm probably an atheist. Uh, I don't. I, I. I. respect religion. I've interviewed every great religious leader except the Pope. I've interviewed, you know, the uh, Billy Graham's and the heads mm-hmm. of the Mormon Church and the, and then the Presbyterians and the, and the, uh, everyone. I've interviewed the great uh, leaders of Islam. I don't. Uh, I don't buy it. I don't. I don't. I think the only reason for religion is death. If you didn't die, mm-hmm. there'd be no religion. What turns you away from it? Uh, probably not getting answers to questions. The simple answer you get all the time is when you ask, why does a baby die? Why is there a Holocaust? Mm. Um, I think that's because God gave human beings free will. Yeah, well, you didn't get free will for Katrina. Mm-hmm. So I mm. so I ask those questions. You know, right. Why did God allow Katrina and people got swept up and died? Right. And they always, the typical answer is, uh, we do not question the ways of the Lord. Well, I do question the ways of the Lord. Especially an interviewer like you. And if I don't get answers, (laughs) if I don't get answers. You don't believe. I I question it. Someone asks, well, what what if you could interview God? What would be the first question? Do you have a son? (laughs) (laughs) Now, you mentioned your If he would say no. Right. Chaos throughout the Christian world. Throughout the world. Absolutely. Now you mentioned your wife. How many you were married? Seven, eight times. Seven. Wow. Why one, not make one it eight? twice? One twice. Why not go for eight? He's married. He's married well, now. Charlotte. I'm married eighteen years now. Oh. <laughs> I've got um, my wife's much younger. We have two young boys, fifteen and fourteen. They're both baseball players. In fact, the fifteen-year-old is down in Florida. We live in Beverly Hills, but mm-hmm. he, my wife, let him go to Florida. To play baseball at uh, IMG, a very famous baseball academy. Derek Gito went there. Mm -hmm. And so he's in school in Florida, uh, playing baseball every day. I just went to visit him last weekend. He's a great kid. And the 14-year-old's playing baseball at Beverly Hills High. So i got young kids. i got a beautiful wife. Mm -hmm. In fact, people see me and my wife, you know. I'm 81. Mm -hmm. And people see us, and I know what they're thinking. How old is she? She's uh, 55. Uh Mm-hmm. 
So that's 26 years. Mm-hmm. So I know what they're thinking. What? They look at me, they look at her. You know, hey. So I always say the same thing. That's not if, what I would think. I think like, wow, Larry's penis is still getting hard. No, what I say <laughs> what I say, if she dies, she dies. <laughs> <laughs> you get another girl. <laughs> That's easy to say when you've had eight wives. Already. Life goes on. I don't regret. I don't regret any of it. I've had three grown. I have three, I have three grown children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've had a hell of a life, man. I mean, I from the little five-year-old kid in Brooklyn who wanted to be on the radio, to be seen all over the world, to get a lifetime achievement from the Emmys, uh, Peabody Awards, award, Peabody Award. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't. I so I really I pinch myself every day. I consider a lot of it lucky. I mean, you have to be good. I know I'm good at what I do, but there's luck involved, too. When did you realize you were a good interviewer? Well, when, I, when I started, I, I, I was doing a show at a, at a restaurant in Miami Beach. I was 23, and Bobby Darren, great Bobby Darren, walked in. And then Jimmy Hoffa came in. And I didn't prepare for him because mm-hmm. I didn't know they were coming. Right. And I got to love that. I got to love asking questions. But I could, if I look back long enough, I was asking questions when I was... Nine years old. I, you know, I'd get on a bus and, why do you want to drive a bus? I'd say to the bus driver, what do you get out of driving a bus? Mm-hmm. Uh, when when my friends and I would go to ball games, they wanted autographs. I never wanted autographs. I used to wait outside locker rooms and ask questions. I'd run down the street. Why'd you bunt? Mm-hmm. Why'd you do that in the right, third right. inning? You know, what made you take that shot? So I, I, I naturally went into it. As we started here today, I started by asking, what, what is it, so many radio Right, stations? absolutely. Yeah. What do you do? Why do you call yourself the breakfast club? There's no breakfast. You know, that, <laughs> those are things that are constantly on my mind. And what made me good at what I did was I asked simple questions. Mm-hmm. It's one word, two, one sentence questions. Why is a great question. And I never got out. When I, when I remember when I was a kid, when I first got to Miami, mm-hmm. I, got, I had $11 in my pocket. I stayed with my uncle. I was very poor. We were on relief when my father died. First thing I saw was uh, two water fountains. and One said white and one said colored. And uh, I drank out of the colored water fountain. It was very good, by the way. It was cold. <laughs> you thought it was going to be cool. And so I started, I started <laughs> saying, why? Why are there two? Mm-hmm. Then I got up on a bus to go from Miami over to Miami Beach. And I sat in the back of the bus. And the bus driver stopped the bus and said, move forward. Because the back of the bus is for coloreds and the front of the bus is for whites. And I said, why? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I still have never got an answer to that question. Because <clears throat> why should pigment mean anything? Right. <clears throat> so I never got an answer. You asked me that when I was on your show, Larry yeah. King Night. You was like, why do people hate on other people for the color of their skin? I'm like, That's, I really don't know. I don't know. What, so I all prejudice. Right. I don't know why I'm heterosexual. For example, I like women, but I don't know why I like women. I didn't choose it. In other words, I didn't get up one day at age 11 and say, you know, I think I like women. Mm -hmm. So why would someone get up one day and say, I think I like men, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know why. It's probably a gene. It's probably something. No one knows why they are what they are. So why be against it? Why why be against it if you don't know why? Also, as Ross Perot told me, the South was economically stupid. I mean, they'd build a building, and they'd have to build two bathrooms for men instead of one. <laughs> I mean, it was idiotic. They would deflate. If they didn't educate mm-hmm. their black citizens, 
how could they expect them to thrive economically? So that's why your lowest economic states are the Mississippis and Alabamas. Because right. they didn't bring... So you, 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 you lose. Mm-hmm. Segregation is idiotic financially. Forget morally. It's idiotic financially. Right. It's idiotic. Put it like that, absolutely and right. You, can, you actually marched, uh, you marched in Miami. I did. So, uh, so we, the beaches could be yeah, yeah, segregated. We, yeah, we integrated the beaches. and I, Integrated, I mean. I was like, yeah. what? So black people could be on the beach. Right. But <laughs> black people couldn't be on the beach. Do you know how That's bad crazy. it was? I mean, it, this is in, in our lifetime. In 1963, mm-hmm. 63, that ain't that long ago, if Sammy Davis swam in a pool in Las Vegas where he was entertaining, they emptied the pool and refilled it. Wow. Sammy Davis, as loved as he was at the time? They emptied the pool. That's crazy. Could you, could you? I mean, you, it's hard to believe that. Harry Belafonte integrated the Hilton Hotel in Miami Beach in 1965. <clears throat> and what they used to do in Miami Beach where I lived, the black entertainers would play on Miami Beach, and then they would be put in a very nice hotel in the black area in Miami. Mm. And Harry Belafonte, who I love to this day, I was there when he was checking in. He was going to open that night. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, Mr. Belafonte, very good to have you. And two shows and you can rehearse and, and your hotel is across the bay on the other side. And he said, why? <laughs> he said, well, that's, that's where our, our Negro entertainers stay. And he says, where I play is where I stay. Mm-hmm. And they checked him in. And then wow. <laughs> he said, and my troupe also has to stay wow. where we play. And he had 12 black singers <laughs> behind him and they integrated that hotel. Wow. How long did it take y'all to get the beaches integrated after the march? Oh, he had that quickly. Once you know, it happened so. Fa- Look how fast. Once once you start a movement, mm-hmm. you can't stop a movement. Right. Once I knew Martin Luther King very well. He was so uh, spot on. Once you start to show people, when when television did it, mm-hmm. when I could put you on television and show a black man merely <coughs> walking across a bridge, and they hit him over the head. The average guy looking at that and the children, why? Mm-hmm. Back to that old why. Mm-hmm. You don't get an answer. There is no answer. It's just stupid. Right. So the more you see that, and then now you have gay marriage. Because mm-hmm. people start to say, it ain't my business. It ain't, what, what, what do you care? What do I care? Everybody, well, should, everybody should be allowed to get married and be miserable. <laughs> now, stupid. can I ask your opinion on something that's happening now with uh, Brian Williams? I feel so sorry about that. I like Brian, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is. Why? Why people do things for self-aggrandizement? You know, you didn't, did Brian Williams have to say he was in the helicopter? No, not at all. He don't have to be in the action. I, I, don't, I don't turn on the news. I don't. To hear I, don't, you be a I, don't I don't know what that means. Yeah, me neither. But and he's been what, suspended, and uh, I don't, it'd be hard for him to come back. Mm-hmm. The hard part will be it'll fade for a while, but once he comes back, he'll start talking about it again. Mm-hmm. And if he has to do a story on a helicopter mission, he's going to laugh. Or if he has to do a story, he's got to interview a politician who got caught in a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's going to be in a tough spot. Oh, yeah. The politician be like, don't, talk, don't question me about lying, Brian. Right. That's right. Well, maybe I, he should just come out and be honest about it and say why. Is that Yeah, a good but move? he may not know his own I don't why. think he knows why either. I think he just Sometimes you, did it just dumb. You know, people are... Nobody's perfect, and everybody has done things. Everybody has something in the closet that you. There's something about you that you wouldn't want known. 
I think I know. Uh oh. Come on, Mr. King. Tell us. Just tell us. No, we we actually go way back. Let's not. You know. Oh. Yeah. Oh. She's uh, kidding. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> See, but you can do that on radio, Christian. Now the whole audience is thinking, like, what? Yeah. What? what? Nice seeing you yeah, again. Now, <laughs> See, in now, this decade. I had nothing to do with that, you know. No, when, why are you getting nervous? <laughs> Don't tell anybody. This is just, you know. This is that little nervous laugh. You were always that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's talk See, about now, your suspenders. How many pairs of suspenders do you have? I, I well, now I got red ones. I, I have, uh, <laughs> I was on Morning Joe this morning. Right. MSNBC. I have about 100 and about 300 ties. Yeah, I have more crazy. ties than suspenders because you got to match them off. Uh, the way I wore suspenders was uh, was an ex-wife of mine, Sharon. I had gotten, uh, I had had a heart attack and heart surgery and uh, lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to wear sweaters on television. Uh, I've been on television and radio all my life. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, you look, you look pretty good. Why don't you try wearing suspenders? Mm-hmm. Might be a different look. And nobody on television wears them. Mm-hmm. So I tried them, and some people called in and said that looked good. And I got to like the look. So it became part of me, and it became part of the scene. Absolutely. So I never got contact lenses because people know me with eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. It's just, everyone needs a kind of look. You know? signature like you have a look. Hoodies and Tim's, baby. Bum, bummy. It's now, called bum, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, there's something amazing to me about the jean world. I, These are know. PRPS jeans. Yeah, now they're all torn up. Well, yeah, because no, no, very interesting story about this. Ask me why. Why they're torn Don't up. Don't do it. Let's move on. Very My in- wife told me it costs more if they're torn up. They they do. Like, these cost a lot, but the guy, he's from Virginia, so what he does is he'll go in, like, abandoned houses and, like, barns. He'll drive all through the South and find old clothes and then make replicas of them. So that's what he does. Now, if I came home wearing that <laughs> with my mother <laughs> 60 years ago, she just said, you're doing bad. <laughs> Things that can I help you? What's going on? Now the bummy look is in. You seen Kanye's new clothing line? What is all bummy look? All looks torn bummy up look. and ragged. It's it looks terrible, terrible. <laughs> nasty, disgusting. It's not so here good. comes a why question. Okay. Why? You why know, would you, why do you wear that? That is a good question. It makes me feel comfortable. Though. Like I'm from the country, so I don't like all of that flashy. Fly. He stuff. tried it for a little bit. It didn't work out for him. Actually, Charlemagne used to get his jeans custom made. No, I did that once or twice because <laughs> it, it was actually cheaper that. to get them made. I used to know this little African dude. He used to get <laughs> materials and he could sew and he could sew me some jeans. I could give him $60. He made me a great pair of jeans. <laughs> so you thought. You How know? much did these cost? Well, like, like $350. Larry, $350. But I didn't pay for them. <laughs> PRPS shows me a lot of love. I would never pay $350 for a pair of jeans. I but paid, that's, that's what they cost. Yes. yes. If you ripped them a little more, would it be more? Nobody yes. would even notice. But nobody would notice. It'd be hot. Like, these look worn like moths ate them and stuff. Yeah, they really look bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they look like you just got out of Auschwitz. <laughs> now, <laughs> you released. <laughs> uh, Larry King, I have to ask you about social media and how it affects everything today. Being that, obviously, you've had so much experience. No, I'm on the internet now every day on Hulu. You be tweeting? You tweet. Yeah, I tweet. I got 2,800,000 followers. Do girls hit you up on DMs and stuff like that? Still yeah, trying you, to highlight you? You ever been in a chick's DMs, Larry? What's a DM? A direct, direct message. message. That's a oh, private hey, well, message. No, I don't. Uh, I dictate my tweets. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, I don't type them out. I don't okay. text. Mm-hmm. I, uh, in fact, here's my phone. I have. 
a Uh-oh. flip phone. It's flips. A flip I haven't seen one of those in a minute. Hey, come on. Now, you work for $150 million. You, you can't have a flip phone. Uh-uh. Somebody send game. this guy a phone. Okay? I'll tell you why I like it. You can't even send a penis pic on that why? phone. It's a phone. I can put it against my ear. Mm-hmm. Two, I find that people with iPhones, mm-hmm. my children and others, it, it controls them. I agree. And... Uh, I was a smoker. I mm-hmm. wound up having a heart attack. And I, when I look back, the cigarette controlled me. Mm-hmm. And I look at people with iPhones. I go to dinner with some guys where they're not there with me. Mm-hmm. They're looking at their iPhones. That's me and all my friends. Oh, you got to do the trick. The trick is you make everybody put their iPhones in the middle of the table. And whoever reaches for their phone first has to pay for the whole bill. Oh, I, see, I don't need why, you need. why do you need that kind of? So I guess I can always get the news. I can always get scores. I don't. I like to communicate verbally, maybe because that's the way I was, I was raised and been doing it all my life. Text is a cop out to me. I can mm-hmm. see you're in an emergency situation, but but why why text when you can call? Absolutely. But do you think for journalism that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things, do you think that helps or hurts? It's what both. It is? Mm-hmm. It's for example, if you never invented an airplane, you'd have never had an airplane crash, right? right? So all advances bring some detractors. One of the problems when you have all this 500 television stations is uh, instead of getting it right, you want to get it on quick. So you have a lot of misinformation. So a lot of wrong things go out on Twitter. A lot of lies go out. Mm -hmm. A lot of misinformation. That's the bad. The good is you learn a lot. In a lot of places. But don't you think social media like makes the court of public opinion more deadly because the lies oh, spread yeah. so fast? Oh yeah, and it goes so fast. Like, look at the Bill Cosby situation. Yeah, like they Ooh. even use one of your old viral clips where Bill the Cosby Spanish made the, the joke about Spanish Fly. Yeah, and now they're like, "See, this shows he's guilty." Yeah, but we didn't know it then. <laughs> right. But I, you're right. If if you make a mistake today, it's around the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But uh, any big, if something big happened right now, the whole world knows it in the next minute. Absolutely. And that's social media. It's a moot to even talk about it because you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Every advance keeps going. I mean, you know, that's the problem with terrorism. Someone somewhere in this world is working on a miniature bomb mm-hmm. that he can get through an airport. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. There's probably someone working on that. Mm-hmm. How are you going to stop it? You can't. You can't. You can't. No way. Do, you, do you have any, any guests that uh, don't like you? Because I, 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 I guess I read a story about how you pissed off Seinfeld one time. Well, because I, he he said he didn't mean it, but I, I've gotten I've, I'm friendly with Jerry. In fact, he he says that I started Twitter with my old column in USA Today. Mm. Where I used to do extemporaneous. It's my two cents. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jerry was on the show, and I asked him why did Seinfeld go off the air? No, that's I, not what you said. You said is his show canceled? I didn't say show canceled. Oh. <laughs> Well, guys who wear jeans like that make up. (laughs) Uh, uh, No, I said, was your show canceled? I didn't know that he just, and he said, we were number one. You know, he he got a little tiffed. And I I just didn't know because I'm on the air so much. I'm on television, I'm on radio, that I don't get to watch a lot of things. And I don't read gossip columns and I don't I don't read a lot I read a lot of sports certainly a lot of news mm-hmm. I stay up on things but I don't know chatter columns you know right. I don't know who's sleeping with who so I don't know if a television show is canceled or goes off or got sick or I, I don't gotcha. I don't I don't read the tabloids so I didn't know so he says you know we, he took offense to it and then he later said he was kidding but I don't think he was kidding mm. right. but I I love Seinfeld by the way I watch 
probably more Seinfelds than any other show. Right. Because Larry David, who, who conceived it, is a genius. He's opening on Broadway now. Y'all look like y'all could be related so too, by the way. What? Y'all look like y'all could be related in some way. You and Larry David. Because we're both named Larry. And you wear glasses. It's just a demeanor about y'all. Look like y'all could be related. Y'all from the same tribe, as we say. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh. I take that as a little bit of a put down. Oh. I'll tell you why. Why? Two guys named Larry, both wear glasses, same tribe. Are you discussing perhaps the Hebrew faith? Oh, yeah, was a little, nah. yeah, was a little what did you mean by tribe? Oh, and tribe is like when you look like somebody, they say you're from the same tribe. That's like hip- for me, like Tyrese would be my tribe. Young Jeezy. Do you know these people? No, no, no but they're all black <laughs> with bald heads and like my height. Oh, so I see. So, yeah, so it was yeah, a compliment yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Like the person looked handsome. I see. Yeah. Like I, mean, yeah, the, I didn't like mean. Think, if you think Larry I, David's handsome, it's a compliment. Well, I don't take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but Charlemagne and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are from the same tribe. Yeah, they said, yeah exactly. Me, 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 young Jeezy, a you guy know, named Neo and Jada Kiss, where the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. world got so hip. <laughs> See, to me, hip, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. First, yeah. you understood the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I understood every word he was mm-hmm. saying. Now, I hear a lot of the young singers today. I got nothing against them. My kids listen to I drive in the car, and my kids are listening mm-hmm. to music. I don't know one word they're saying. <laughs> Ask them who Young Thug is when you get home. <laughs> Ask your kids, say, who is Young Thug? I interview a lot of these things. You haven't too. interviewed Young Thug yet. Please, yeah, share it. Don't make that happen. Well, rappers people. seem to like you. Jay, everybody seems to like you. I don't know why. I mean, <laughs> you know, these hip-hop people come on, these rappers, hey, we love you, Larry. Why? I, I, you know, I'm not speaking their language. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. You listen to any rap music? Yeah, is there any hip-hop music you've listened to? Any songs that you would say uh, off the top I of I can't head? quote any. Not even Jay-Z? Big Pimpin'? Nothing? Nicki Minaj? I know Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snoop Dogg's a friend. Okay. Is he a rapper? Yes, yes Snoop is. A, he's he definitely a, a rapper. He smokes a lot. Smokes a lot. Marijuana. Uh, I tell you about Snoop. <laughs> I've, I've been on his show. He's been on my show. When Snoop comes in the room, you get high. Oh, absolutely. Just by his being in the room. They call that loud. Loud? Loud, yeah. He's like, you got that loud on you. Let's call it a loud pack. Okay, so the smell is smell, loud. Strong smell. Yeah. So therefore, it affects the person who isn't even smoking. There, there you go. go. Yeah, Snoop yeah. has that effect. I like Snoop. Snoop's a very good guy. Mm-hmm. You probably feel great around him when he's he got, walks in the room. He's got great kids. Mm-hmm. He takes care of a lot of kids in his football league. And mm-hmm. I, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, but I interview, I forget their names. They go so fast. You know? Do you remember the Chris Brown interview? That was big in our world. Oh, boy. <laughs> you remember that one when he had the bow tie on? Yeah. That, uh, he wouldn't give me real answers. It was. Oh. See? Turn the lights on. Now, in our world, oh, when the lights go out like that, somebody gets stabbed. You got to run. Yeah, you got to okay. run. Okay. <laughs> in our world, when the lights go on in the studio, you run. Now, Chris wouldn't give you real answers. The lights went out. I thought there'd be one less person here. <laughs> <laughs> Am I in the hood now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're in the hood now. You're in the hood now. I, I feel so hip. Uh, <laughs> it was his uh, first interview after the whole Rihanna thing. Yeah. And uh, they put up pictures of her. And, and uh, he was on with his mother. And I felt kind of sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm told, because uh, I'm not an expert in that area of music, that he's a brilliant artist. He's very yes. good. He's good. He's a great yeah. artist. He's good. One of the best. Good. Can dance his ass off. Mm-hmm. Now, you're still very active. You you work a lot. Do you yeah, I do. See, I like work. Do you ever see yourself, like, retiring, retiring? Mm. I don't know what I do. I really don't. Retire to what? Yeah. I wouldn't know what I would do. Mm. <laughs> I thought I could retire, but I couldn't. I I. I I, w- I don't understand people who don't go to work. 
Why did you leave CNN? Did you just get tired of everything? Well, no, I always has had three, four-year contracts. And the last time it came to me was a one-year contract. And mm. I saw the writing on the wall. And I guess they just wanted to go another direction. That was a terrible direction. Because that guy is something. <laughs> yeah, that Piers didn't work Morgan out too well terrible. for them. Piers Morgan. Yeah. Ooh, that was... <laughs> I didn't like his style. You know, they, I, I guess they, you know, I don't know what. Now they have a different thing on every night at 9. I don't know what they have on. On CNN, I think it's a... Uh, they got a quiz show. Anderson Cooper, I think. No, he comes no, he's on, on Anderson is on at 8. Yeah. I don't know who comes on at 9. I don't know. Why do you wear a white hat? Um, There's no specific reason why it's white, but bald? it's cold. Am Are I you bald? bald? No, I got hair. I just do need, I need to shave. He looks like a little marshmallow. It's just cold, so I just wear a hat to keep myself warm. Kind of mm-hmm. like you wear a sweater. I mean, you keep yourself yeah. warm. Why are you tattooed? Um, He's cool. All right. Larry King's doing an interview. Well, this is, uh, <laughs> I have uh, four kids, and these, these represent my kids. So one is uh, the They're little They're all the by his ben. wife, by the way. They're yeah. yeah, all by my wife. It's <laughs> ye. Now, uh, <laughs> Big Ben represents my daughter. Uh, her name is London, so I put the Big Ben clock. Um, then I have... Um, my daughter and son in the scroll, like the Statue of Liberty that holds, I call myself the mayor of New York What's City. What's the cobweb See, for? It, no, in our world, like Larry, a- if you don't tattoo your kid's name on your body, you'll forget about them. <laughs> like, people wonder why so many black guys don't be with their kids because they don't have them tattooed on their body. They forget, they forget their names. about names. He's lying. He's lying, Larry. No. <laughs> he's lying. Don't, don't. He's lying. He is lying. I just, you, I just like the tattoos. You have tattoos? Unfortunately, I he do. He has a Wolverine tattoo. Wolverine. It's very embarrassing. I got from the X-Men on my arm and a bunch of other nonsense that I got. All right, now, why... Mm-hmm. I, I'm fascinated by the tattoo explosion. First, as a Jewish person, I'm, I'm going to take a guess that it hurts. Absolutely. It does hurt. Why Why would you do that? I'm going to go in today and get some pain. Body art. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Because it seemed like it's the hip thing to do. I just like And then it. you grow older and you look at them and you regret every single one of them. So you wouldn't get any more? I mean, I want to get these covered up because I, I don't want to get them removed because it might leave scars. So you want to get so, more to cover the I'm, Yeah, I'm going to just get some good art on them. And that's what happened, too. I got, when I was in college, I got an ugly tattoo, and then you want to cover it and make it look better. It was, How do you cover it? Well, you have to put... A different tattoo over it? Like, this was ugly angels here, and then it had a stupid <clears throat> saying here, so they have to... What was the saying? I'm just curious. Um, It was actually envy, but it was done in a horrible way. It was just nasty and disgusting, stupid. What does it cost to get a tattoo? Um, back then it was like a hundred dollars. Now it can go anywhere from eight hundred to a thousand dollars. Well, Larry and I don't have any tattoos. So. How do you know Larry ain't got a tattoo? Larry uh, got a tattoo? Are you kidding? Oh, He's Jewish. Sure. If you get if you get a tattoo, you can't be what buried, buried in, a... in a Jewish cemetery. Yeah, mm. I don't know the reason for that either. Mm. I want to be frozen. You told us. Yeah. yeah. Now, were so, you arrested in, in for grand law, me? in nineteen ninety one? I was arrested on a charge. I, it all involved the uh, Jim Garrison uh, New Orleans case and the killing of John Kennedy. And that oh. wasn't 91. Hell, though, right? It wasn't 91. It was 71. 71. Yeah. Envy. And 71. the case was thrown out of court. I, 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 we borrowed money from a guy who was financing Jim Garrison's look into the Kennedy assassination. And then I, we couldn't reach him, and I had to pay taxes. So I said, can I give it to you the next time? And he said, okay. And then it didn't work out, and he didn't get it. So they said, I, when they loaned me money, they said I took the money. Yeesh. But they threw it out of court. Good. But it went away. You know, I always wondered, because you said you want to be frozen, and you, you, you made the joke about your 200 years later, if you woke up, you'd make new friends. And, like, my grandmother was, like, the oldest of all her brothers and sisters, and she outlived, like, her mom and her father, everybody, all her, you know, her brothers, sisters, everybody. So how does it feel to, like, outlive people you've interviewed and things it's, like it's that? It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, and the the uh, Sinatra said to me once, the toughest part of aging is 
your friends die. Mm-hmm. Still five and a little lucky. My best friend's wife died. But I have a four, five, six friends, all of whom are around my age, are still living. Good. That we grew up together. Oh, that's great. So I count that, you know, I count that lucky because you hate to bury, you hate to bury your friends. Anybody, right? Part of your friends. Because I, you know, that's that's a sad thing to think. But I think about dying. I worry about it because you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. But then you also appreciate what a great life you've had. Yeah, I know, but that doesn't work yeah, all the time. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, <laughs> you know, how do you, you want to be remembered? Because you've, you've, you've been on air when so many great people have died, and you see how the world stops in the memorials. I think I want to be remembered as someone who informed that uh, I, I made the world a little bit better by learning a lot of, a lot of things about it. a lot of people, and I made people laugh, and... Uh, I communicate it well, and I know that when you communicate on a daily basis, like people listening to the show, if you guys are on for a long time, how long has the show been on? Um, it'll be five, five years. Five this years. Year. Right. Let's say you go on, you're on 10 years. There are people out there, and you have no idea of the magnitude that you're in their lives. They wake up in the morning, and they, they want to hear that breakfast club, and you become part of their lives, and all you're doing is just being you. Right. But you're attached to these people. And it's a great feeling that they have that feeling for you. That's why people get so sad when well-known people die, right. when an actor dies. Or, mm-hmm. You know, or you read about a singer who dies. and They've entertained you, you know. Through their gift, they've entertained you. So I'd like to say that I entertained people and I informed. Hey, is this a funeral? No, 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 no. What no, are we doing? No, no, I'm starting right? to get depressed. They, they might use it later <laughs> when you laugh. But no, it's not a funeral. Charlemagne, you got a weird sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you joining us. Some today. people find him offensive. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Don't bring us up again. <laughs> okay, I'm It good. was one night. Why do you keep reminding me? That's why he has no tattoos. He wouldn't get that tattoo. <laughs> Thank you, still, you, guys. Still, you still get it in sexually, though, right? <laughs> well, you need help. <laughs> I had uh, I had uh, uh, prostate cancer, so I had had radiation. But you know something, you go on living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep life goes on. You know, that's kind of a personal question. When you, when you ask him why, Listen, I'm looking forward to being like 81 years old. Missionary, you got any other questions? I told you this last time I saw you. I want my brain and my penis to work when I get 80 something. And by the way, they are connected. Yes, <laughs> not his. <laughs> no, of course they're connected. Yeah. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, Larry King, we appreciate Thank you, you guys. Today. That right there is the great Larry King, you know, giving out some personal gems and lessons that he has learned along the way. When it just comes to a great like that, they have tons of experience, tons of years that they just have inside them. And I always say spend time with the elderly because... The elderly have done this 10 times fold. You think about it, I'm in my 20s. Somebody that's in their 60s have hit my age. They, they've been here three or four times. So a person like that who have 80 years of experience, who was there during the Jackie Robinson game, who was there when he talked to Malcolm Martin and things like that, it's important to protect those people. You know what I'm saying? To have those conversations while they're still here on earth because no day is guaranteed. It's not, you know. 
I think we just got to get to a place where we just open and we're not scared to touch those generational differences. I think that we're so far apart sometimes in ideals that we are scared to cross the room and shake a person's hand who thinks differently from you, who has seen the world differently. So, you know, a person who looked and they saw New York City in 1960 and I see New York City today, we have two separate outlooks on the same city. So it's important that we exercise those differences and get to a common ground. I don't mind having a conversation with a with a racist. I don't mind having a conversation with a person who is homophobic. I don't mind having a conversation with a progressive person or a person who is a environmentalist. I don't mind having those conversations because I feel like I can learn from everybody. I feel like everybody has a story. Everybody has a mindset and everyone has a purpose to get me to different places. So, I, you know, I don't really mind opening up that dialogue. So I think that conversation, you know, between Larry, Charlemagne, DJ Envy and Angela Yee, I thought that was a great conversation. And I just really wanted to put that put that clip out there to the world. And the reason why I wanted to highlight it, because people don't know who he is. You know what I'm saying? You just see everybody saying rest in peace and you just mark it off. You know, we have seen just so much death this year and just this past, well, within this time period of January 2020 to January 2021, we have saw so much tragedy that is we are living in historic times. And if you don't want to believe it, you sleep right now. So, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Pierce Morgan. He was the a uh, person who replaced Larry King in CNN at nine o'clock. He was obviously fired too. <laughs> but when he replaced Larry King, you know, him and Larry had a little back and forth. I think Larry felt some type of way about being replaced. As you heard in the interview, he talked about the uh, the writings on the walls. And I think that's, that's a deep segment. Uh, 50 Cent's book, Hustle Harder, he did touch on the writing on the walls and making sure you reading those writings that's on the walls. And he tells, like, the origin story of where it came from. Um, You know, Pierce Morgan had to say on Twitter after Larry King had passed away, he said, Larry King was a hero of mine until we fell out after I replaced him on CNN. He said that my show was like watching your mother-in-law go over a cliff in your new Bentley. Well, he married eight times, so he is a mother-in-law expert. But he was a brilliant broadcaster and a masterful TV interviewer. I might not agree with this comment. Um, not that I'm PC or nothing. I think that he was being honest. I think that he kept the same energy as when Larry was alive. I just don't think that he should have had, you know, being that you have replaced him. I don't think he should have been so quick to put something out like that. You know what I'm saying? If you want to put it out, put it out in like a podcast, put it out on a book. You know, put it out where people can have context to it so the world can understand the complexity of what you're saying out your mouth. I don't I just don't think 140 characters is is, is really going to help you. I just don't think those characters on Twitter is going to help you. Um, You know, it's a lot of questions. 
you know, that whole interview was about, you know, finding the purpose of every question that you ask. And, and the reason why I wanted to uh, show everybody is because that is an interview where Larry was not selling anything. He was there to be there. You know what I mean? He was there because not only was the Breakfast Club on its way to being the the program and the radio show it is today, but he understood this was the future. And, you know, he really cemented his legacy, not only, you know, in the world, but in our community itself. And I think that's just such an amazing thing. And, you know, I had a few questions myself, you know, about things that I thought about this week. You know, I, I said to myself, you know, what happens once society comes back to normal? What happens when we really feel the normal and Everybody has jobs and will things be the same? I don't know. What happens when life gets back to normal? Will people want information? Will people want to learn things? We are such in this ecosystem of learning new things and hearing new people and gathering new information. What happens when society opens back up? You know, will we consume content the same way? You know, will the podcasters who are coming out of the woodwork right now, would they exist once society get back up and they're busy with their nine to fives? Will it become a dead podcast? Will the content creators of YouTube actually skyrocket and think of new ways to create and be innovative? I have no idea what happens once the world opens up. But, you know, I was really um, I was really thinking about it. And trying to put things into context and trying to um, trying to understand the world in a, in a different light. You know what I'm saying? So the song I decided to put out was by Childish Gambino. It's called Feel Like Summer. And I just thought the song was just so perfect, man. Because, you know, the weather is going crazy everywhere. Everybody is experiencing some type of cold from the west to the east. You know, it's just, it's starting to really feel like winter, actually. It's kind of confusing because, you know, for many of years, the winter kind of disappeared everywhere. It's not as it used to be when it used to be heavy snow. I'm talking about bad snow it's not like that so you you know the song talks about global warming and things like that and how it's like he's walking outside it's an amazing video it's all animation but it's really amazing you should just check it out anybody who's listening to this please check out that video you know he's walking and he has like a uh he looks like he's in the fall right but everyone around him is doing summer shit and he has his jacket on and he's just walking through his neighborhood. He has his headphones on and he's just going through the motions. And I think that is perfect. And, and often when I saw that video, I connected so deeply with the video is because I feel like that sometimes. I feel like I'm walking. And if you ever see me in person, I usually have them on my headphones on top of my head. I wear the uh, over-ear headphones. And I'm just walking through life. And everything is around me. People are constantly distracted. People are on their phones. People are paying attention to other things. Everyone just got things to do. And that's what made me ask the question, what happened once society opens back up? You know, are we going to be so tuned in to what's going on? Are we going to be following politics the same way? Are we going to let them, you know, do criminal things in Washington? 
are we going to be tuned into the world? Are we going to care about what's going on in fucking England or what's going on in this world when it comes to COVID and sickness and washing our hands? Are we going to take care of ourselves the same way? I mean, the government has already done a poor job with telling us to, you know, be healthy, to work out, to exercise, to uh, take vitamin D. And having just been honest by what we need to do to stay here on earth and and live and eat you know superfoods and things like that it has not told us anything about that so you know i just think a video like that is just dope my favorite part of the video is um it's this guy he looks like martin luther king but he's not martin luther king he's actually shannon sharp um hall of fame nfl player for the denver broncos um tv host of Club Shay Shay podcast and skipping Shannon on Fox. It was actually him in there in the video and he's eating an ice cream and one side of the ice cream has vanilla and the other side has chocolate and he puts it down on the bench and it begins to melt. That is actually the late XXX uh, Testacion and that kid was just so dope, man. So if y'all, if I was y'all, I would check out an interview with him and DJ Academics. It's kind of long, but it really show how deep he was. You know, he was tragically taken away from us. It, you know, it just sucks, man. It just sucks because a kid like that, you know, they they could have had so much reach alive. And that's, you know, that's my only fear is that I end up like Nipsey or, you know, somebody like me. I just get taken away from y'all so soon and... All y'all got is this podcast, and I didn't go on to be great. You know, that's my only fear, and I see a kid like that. You know, he was just taken away from us, and then you, at the time, I just didn't know. I didn't know much about him. I mean, he died, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, whatever, because he was part of that mumble rap scene, but I just see him being a forefront and lasting. Anytime you have a wave of artists that come through, there's always one or two people that last after the fad has faded. You know what I'm saying? So when I look at Brooklyn Drill, I look at somebody like Pop Smoke. He would have had lasted past the Brooklyn Drill sound and would have been a great asset to hip hop. You know what I'm saying? So I look at him. He would have lasted past the mumble rap sound wave that was going on because he was actually deep and he was actually outspoken and he actually had a mind on him. But, you know, jealousy and envy, it, you know, people are so hypnotized with hatred. It's just so sad and it brings us down, man. So that's my favorite part of the video is the a cup of ice cream melting because I just think that was just so symbolic and it just took me out and took me into a great place. Uh, so check that out, man. But I'm out of here. It's been a great episode. I know I didn't really talk on much coming from me and my thoughts, but I did want to show everybody that interview because it, it had a lot of gems that were in there that you can take from, whether it was his opinion or on religion, uh, burying yourself, the whole burning cremation versus being buried versus being ice. I thought that was a, I thought that was a complex thought. Um, knowing your why, asking why, not being afraid of doing something for the first time and being honest and about being yourself. 
You know, that was one of the main things I talked about in my first uh, episode, Octopus and Rollout, on how I just wanted to roll out so fucking bad. And I wanted to show the world who I was. And then I got wrapped up in it so much to the point I was not being myself. Be your fucking self. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to talk about my grief. You know, I had a whole list of things to talk about when I started this podcast today. I thought I was going to talk about... T.I. and Vitiligo and Harry Potter got a new show on HBO Max. And I wanted to talk about Drake moving his album back and Trey Songs putting white people in headlocks. I don't know. I wanted to talk about a lot of things, but I just didn't because I really wanted to talk about things that are going on with me and my personal self. And I wanted to open up about that and connect about that. So, you know, Larry King kind of inspired that because he said that, you know, you can never go wrong with being yourself and they're going to like you regardless. So, uh rest in peace to Larry King. I'm out. Peace.